0: Well, we have a very special guest today. Uh, Eva's going to speak to us this morning. Listen to what's being said today because there's a powerful message uh, we met. And uh, God's put a lot of great things on Eva's uh, heart. I want you to hear her heart. She's not preaching to you this morning. She's going to actually be showing you. Uh, hopefully, she's edifying the church today to show you something of uh, what God is doing in and around our town, in her heart, in her life, and in and around uh, the Aiken and Augusta area. let Eva, come on. Me, oh, take your hand and...
1: Good morning, morning. my name is Eva Edel. That means noble in German, my husband's family. They just dropped the E from Edelweiss, like Edel. That's why it's E-D-L and everybody thinks it's an acronym for a company. But it's an acronym for me, extremely determined lady. (laughs) So before I even speak today, uh, I would like to go before the Lord. Holy Father, God, I tremble before you. Lord, it's a responsibility you have given me that I don't feel adequate for. So, Lord, let me just get out of the way. And by your Holy Spirit, speak through me, Lord, and minister. Have your way. Lord, I cannot give anything that you do not place in me first. So I totally depend on you. Lord, I pray that every person here, young or old, Lord, will hear what you want to say to them, Lord. Lord, there may be as many messages here as there are people, each individually hearing by your Holy Spirit. So in Jesus' name, dear Father, I trust you to do your work, and may, may there be much fruit afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, I really feel, I, I just sense when you asked me to, to speak today that uh, I should uh, share some of my testimony as a child. In the concentration camp and during World War II, and um, hopefully, the adults at least here will be able to connect the dots with with what's happening here in America. You know, it says in the Scriptures in in First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 that. Um, we the whole the holy scriptures, which meant then the Old Testament, the New Testament wasn't written yet. That in the Old Testament, uh, as we read it, the examples that are given are for our admonition. Well, I hope that the Lord will use my story, kind of, for for people to to learn what to do and what not to do, and hear the Lord in it all. Um, Where do I start? I was born in what is now called Serbia on the Balkan Peninsula, used to be called uh, Yugoslavia then. We had a king in those days in 1935. Um, To ethnic German people who had settled there in the 1700s. It belonged to the Austro-Hungarian Empire to start with, and then after World War One, things—the uh, whole country was divided up into Romania, Serbia, uh, Yugoslavia, and all the other countries. So that's just the background. I had a rather calm childhood until 1941. Uh, we heard rumors, you know, but we only had radios and. In, in forty-one, it's the first time when I was uh, introduced to some uh, difficulties, because the German and the Hungarian in league with one another invaded Yugoslavia. Then, and my ch- first childhood memory is having an airplane come and shoot, and uh, and I'm hiding under the table. Um, it was just that the Nazis had invaded. Uh, they came through, and we didn't suffer through it all. We had. To Fairly easy life still. Life went on. Uh, There were rumors starting of atrocities happening by all the the, the fighters in Yugoslavia that were fighting back against the Nazis and the Hungarians. And as a small child, you know, you adults may not realize, but we take things in when people talk around us. And I would go with my mother. And the ladies would get together and uh, do their knitting, or crocheting and things, and talk. And these little ears, I would just sit there, and these little ears took everything in that I heard. And because I heard of atrocities, I became a very fearful child. I would have terrible nightmares because I heard some horror stories they don't want to, <laughs> to uh, repeat here and would find myself having nightmares that were so real I couldn't tell them apart from daytime experiences. And the Lord is so good, He knew, He knows ahead of time whether we're going to come to Him even from all eternity and what would happen to us in life. And in His mercy, when I was uh, eight and a half years old, I was told the Gospel. First of all, I was taught the Ten Commandments, and recognized myself as a sinner. Had I gone into the concentration camp being as fearful as I was before, I would have not survived, or if I had survived, I would have come out insane, I believe. Um, Let's see how God is merciful. He sent a little Catholic nun who loved Jesus. You know they're born-again Catholics, and they are baptized heathens in the Baptist church, too. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, this, this dear nun, she taught us the Ten Commandments. We need to know the Ten Commandments to recognize ourselves as sinners. That's why the government took the Ten Commandments out of school. And what we are seeing now is the result of no right or wrong. But I knew this little eight-year-old girl was a sinner and on her way to hell. But she also told us the good news of the Son of God coming to earth and become a human being like myself, and that he would take all my sins that I ever committed or will commit on himself and pay the penalty for it. And I was so grateful. But then she said something that I never forgot. God's blood was in Jesus because he is the son of God. Later on, I found it in the book of Acts. They were, we are purchased by the blood of God. She said, because he was God's son and his blood, the life is in the blood, he gave his life for me. And since he gave all his life for me, he poured out every drop of his holy blood just for me. And I fell in love with my Jesus. First, I repented because I was afraid of going to hell. But then I fell in love with him. And I never, ever wanted to sin, honestly. I would sometimes pray, Lord, before I sin again, please let me die first. Because I felt, well, if I do something wrong and my big brother would always get punished for what I do, would I keep on doing wrong? I wouldn't. And... Um, Maybe that's one way how we can tell if we're really born again. When the, the the Jesus the spirit of Jesus Christ that says your will above my will father, if we don't have that in us, that desire, maybe we're not really born again. Something to think about. Anyway, praise God, it also says later on, I didn't see a Bible till I was 23 years old. So, I learned all what God did later on, that's in the Bible actually. Um, It it says in Hebrews that we are delivered from the the, the fear of death. Pastor, I can't quote it, you know. Uh, That's what happened to me. After I was born again as a nine-year-old, it was shortly before my ninth birthday. Uh, When I was born again, all of a sudden, that fear of dying disappeared. And in my childlike mind, I figured, well, if all that cruel stuff they have done to some of my people already during the war would happen to me, well, it wouldn't last forever. Either they would stop torturing me, or I would die. And if I die, I'm free. Only, only pain in hell is forever. <laughs> and so that's how I got through things, even during the war. Well, to make a long story short, towards the end of the war um, the, the Nazis and the Hungarians were driven back by the Russians. That's when our real trouble started. Um, my father, since we were of ethnic German background, the Nazis took our men with them, the younger men. My father. Uh, was a very sick man. He has a, had emphysema and heart problems, but they took him anyway for cannon fodder. They said, you got to fight. We never saw him again. That was in 44. And after that, overnight, the Russians were there. We had been living kind of like just ignoring all the troubles that, that were talked about around us. My mother said, well, we haven't done anything wrong. Who would hurt us? You know, and... Um, My father called one time, he was taken away the end of August, early September 44, I think. But he called in a few weeks later, he could barely speak and said, get out of here, the Russians are brutal, flee. Yet my dear mother said, we haven't done anything wrong, let's just stay. Now some of our people uh, took took the, the, the warning and they left and escaped into Austria and other surrounding countries. So when the Russians came in, it was just overnight. And they uh, extracted all the young people from 15, 16 on till in their early 30s and shipped them to Siberia to, to work in the coal mines. We didn't see them again. So that left nothing but uh, old people with a lot of grandchildren. My mother and my sister were taken to, however, they used them for another purpose. They used them for working on an airstrip that was near our town, which they, because we had the Russians and the Russians on our side of the Danube where we lived, on the other side were the Germans fighting back and forth. So they had an airstrip where they took the bombs and bombed the other side and came back to reload. My sister and mother had to clean the airstrip. And that's when I experienced Isaiah 65. Before they call, I will answer. Let me tell you the story real quick. God is so faithful. I want you to get one thing. If you belong to Jesus, there is nothing that Jesus can't help you with. Oh, yes, you'll suffer, but he will use it. And uh, during that time, it was uh, my mother and my sister were at work at that airstrip, and I heard this big explosion going on. And immediately I said, something is awful wrong. I dropped to my knees and started praying. I stayed praying all day long until it got dark. Come nightfall, they brought wagon loads of dead people in. The whole workforce there at the airstrip practically was blown up by a bomb that had dropped off the airplane that was hooked on the the wing. However, my mother had just been there and had walked away. So she was just covered with everything else, but the Lord had spared her life. And my sisters, before they call, I will answer. I, I didn't know what would happen, but see, I, I still believe that he does that for us nowadays. If we live for him with all our heart, and, and uh, we don't know what's happening to people, we can pray for them now. You may de- debate that with me, but I believe with all my heart. I pray anytime. And even if people say they're dead, I don't know for sure. I'm gonna pray for them to live. So I was taught another thing which prepared me then what what was going to happen. Um, This dear little nun tried to prepare us. Somehow she had an inkling that we were going to go through rough times as children. She tried to prepare us for suffering. And um, first of all, she, she made sure that Jesus was Lord of all in our lives, and that's when I learned my biggest lesson as a child. She challenged us to uh, think what we loved the most in our toys that we had. We had all these homemade toys. We lived very simply. And, and what would, would we give away what we loved the most if Jesus asked us just for his sake? Well, I had all these homemade dolls and other homemade toys. However, my father was the manager of a brick factory, and the owner's wife went on vacation at the Adriatic every summer, and she had brought me a doll in a beautiful box and tissue paper, and she had all these lashes that would go up and down and all these beautiful eyes and and little socks with, with... ribbons on it, and white patent leather shoes, and oh, I love that doll. She was my treasure. Nobody was able to touch it. Oh, oh that was my treasure. And then the Lord said, Eva, would you give that doll up for me? To this day, it still hurts. I said, no, nobody can have it. And it showed me I didn't love Jesus as much as I loved that doll. And you know what happens when we hold back from the Lord? Our heart isn't the same anymore. And he taught me a lesson, idols have to fall. What is an idol in your life, maybe? Because we get rid of one idol and another one wants to come in. And we have to daily say, it's all yours, Lord. Well, the Russians came through and destroyed everything. They took all our food. They destroyed my doll. They did horrible things to the ladies. My mother and sister had to sleep in a different place every night and hide. Uh, But then the Russians took my grandfather and my mother away. In the meantime, we heard rumors that those people of German ancestry Because we had a new government given now towards the end of the war, the Allies put the Communist Party under Marshal Tito in power, and they had decided to exterminate every ethnic German of their citizenship, baby and all. Um, And we heard these rumors, wouldn't believe it again. My dear grandmother was of ethnic Hungarian background, so she was not in danger. So she took us to the brick factory and hid us in a chamber where there were fight, uh, firing bricks, hit us out there and came to feed us at night. But then it seemed like all the rumors were, were wrong and she let us out. Not long after that, uh, we were taken on a forced march and uh, didn't know where mother was, didn't know where grandfather was, didn't know if father was dead or alive. And here was my brother, he was 12, my sister was 15, and I was nine. We were marched to another German-speaking town where they divided us up. Those under 12, sick, and the babies were put in one area. The, the young boys were, and young men that were still left were put, at, older men rather, were put in another area, and then 15 on up, the women were in another area. What I found out later on, those over 12 were taken to labor camps to be worked to death. And like myself, being nine years old and uh, I was placed on a cattle car to be shipped to an uh, extermination camp. Now that was not the Nazis, that was the new communist government in, in Yugoslavia. You see, evil is evil. My dear little Hungarian speaking grandmother, she was not in danger, but she had followed us. And she was at a dilemma, what was she going to do? So she made herself look like a, she's an old lady, and very sick, and she followed me on that cattle car. <clears throat> they uh, shipped us to a, an evacuated town, uh, 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 where ethnic German people had lived. They had taken everything out, except put about an inch of straw on the floor. And there they packed us in like sardines, as many as they could put on. We were not allowed to have anything but the the one outfit on our body, a small blanket, a dish and a spoon. That was it. Uh, When we arrived there, uh, they starved us systematically. That was the whole design to, to starve us to death, have us die from disease and exposure through cold. Uh, we received about a cup full, well, maybe half this bottle full of what they called soup, but it was nothing but peas in warm water with mostly beetles and larvae of beetles flowing in it on the top. Um, there was not, not a bit of grease in it, no salt in it, nothing. And once or twice a week, we received a, a, about, I say a, a small, a large matchbox full of um, cornmeal mush kind of thing. Um, I can still smell the soup in my mind. It was horrible smelling, like somebody scraped the, the, the floor in a cow stall. Anyway, at first, the first day, I. I Took the beetles out and the larvae out, but you got so hungry, you you ate those beetles too. That was protein (laughs) in the end. People began to die very quickly, the babies at first without milk and the elderly. And one by one, uh, my camp held, which I found out later, about 20,000 people on top of each other. And when a person died, um, you put them in the street and they had wagons pick them up and put them in mass graves and shovel them over like animals. We were not allowed to have any, any religious material or anything. Um, we had no soap, no towel, nothing given to us. So you can imagine, that disease went rampant. We had typhoid, we had everything. And uh, they didn't even prepare latrines, so you can imagine what l- happened in the camp. I don't want to be g- too graphic. I'm just trying to tell you all these situations so you know the miracle God did for me. Uh, If I would title my talk, it's a feather in the furnace. I got singed, but I didn't get destroyed. And only the grace of God. Anyway, um, I got very sick. Uh, I got scabies. I mean, I had hardly any skin on my body uh, in a few months. My grandmother was fortunate because she spoke Hungarian, she spoke German, and she spoke Serbian, which was the language of our gardens. Uh, guards. So they took her to work for them, to clean and wash and so on, and she could steal a little bit of food sometimes and bring me food. And, and she could eat more too, so she survived. Uh, I would not have survived much longer, though, because I I had just emaciated so much, and the disease, and the the flies, and the the bed bugs, and the fleas, and and, uh, lice, especially, just consumed people. I saw some of the old people, they would just take, since we only had that one outfit, you couldn't wash, unless you went naked. We had just one hand pump in the courtyard. And so the old people would just take their spoon and go into the seams and just scrape the lice out, that's how, how we had to live. It was filthy as can be, but that wasn't the worst. It was the atrocities done to the people, especially the young, younger women. And, and anyway, um, my brother was brought to me. He had, um, he had gotten sick he had, uh, and was brought to my camp to die. So we, the two of us were together. And then one night, uh, there, there's somebody that showed up in my room and said, Eva, I'm your mother, but there was this skeleton standing in front of me who didn't look like my mother. She was a chubby little German lady. That's what our l- men loved. You would love it, ladies, that want you lose weight. <laughs> uh, and my mother had, you know, was nice round. She showed that she was well fit. And I refused to believe that she was my mother. And later on she told me, honey, you made me vomit. She said when she came near to me, she got one whiff of this rotting flesh and ran out. (laughs) But uh, she took one look at my brother and me and decided that we wouldn't live long unless she got some food to us. Now, our camps were very primitive. Our guards couldn't read or write. They were totally illiterate. We used to joke. If they wanted to count and got past 10, they would have to take their socks off. You know, just very primitive. We didn't have the electric fences like Germany had around their camp. We just had guards going around the perimeter of the camp. And you couldn't go very far because where we lived was like Holland, all flat. It was just drained swamp area at one time. A very fertile land. That's what they wanted from us. Anyway, uh, so mother had found a way to get into the camp. Um, and found us by word of mouth. I don't know how it went. I wish I could talk to her now. You know, you you don't ask questions when you're young. We're too busy to survive after it all was over. Anyway, um, she went to the surrounding farms and got some food and started. See, the people around us were all against what was done to us. They were all (laughs) pro-life. Except not a one. When my train was shipped into that death camp, not one went in front of that gate and said, stop, We can't let you do it, kill me rather than nobody, fear, I suppose. And they just threw some bread to my mother, but mother fed me and my brother. She was able to feed us both enough and on her way to, she had been, oh, okay, it's it's such a long story. Uh, She had escaped from the Russians. And, and found out about our camps, and determined before the Lord, either let me find my children, Lord, or let me perish. And the first camp she broke into to find us it was the camp where my sister was located. Both of them were taken to a swampy area where they had to do hard labor. My sister almost died of malaria. And uh, things happened where my mother knew that if she didn't escape from there, she would be killed. So somehow, She made her way with my sister towards our hometown where she found out about the death camp in Gakovo, which was not far from our town. Um, She also heard that the, the commandant of her camp had found out where we lived and had taken some horses and guards with him and was waiting for her at our house. And what he was going to do, he said, he's going to tie her between the horses, quarter her, and take her back to his camp to show everybody nobody escapes from my camp. So my mother was warned and she was told about the death camp and so she never even went to our house. She was smarter than that. So that's how my mother found us. Um, She had heard that the camp where my father was the manager was very loosely run and food was much better. And um, so, she figured if she could find us, she would try to bring us back. We didn't know where to go. There was no escape. And so, she thought at least if she could uh, put us into that camp, if she found us that we had some better food. Anyway, she had us ready, able to walk again, and one night we broke out of the camp. She couldn't tell anybody because then uh, if somebody tortured them, they would let them know where we are. So uh, on the way, we were caught. The partisans were always patrolling, uh, and we were caught during the night. And since she knew that um, they couldn't read or write, she cleverly had scribbled something on a piece of paper. Now mind you, we were not allowed to have a book or paper. My dear brother, I found out, he had just a piece of a map or was trying to draw a map. They beat him stripped him naked, beat him brutally, and locked him up overnight in a meat cooler. That's the punishment for just having a piece of paper. However, she, she had paper, and <laughs> she wrote something. And when, we, when the guards asked what, who we were, she turned the paper upside down. And rather than admit they couldn't read, then she told them the story. Well, I'm a trustee. I'm taking these people to the labor camp in in St. Ivan, so we were able to go there. Mother hid me out for a long time because I I was you know so sick but she smuggled some food to me and uh, I was starting to recuperate and my brother too and when we were well again um, we were shipped back to the death camp. We heard about the winter before because uh, my mother showed up in the fall of 1945 find me and uh, so we did not spend the winter in that death camp we found out that people froze to death of course but they were rats were eating people and people were eating rats it was that bad so we knew that we wouldn't survive there the next winter however by then guards had changed uh, and we didn't have such brutal guards anymore and there was one man in our camp who had made an arrangement with some guards that would take bribes to let you escape. But then we found out our camp, Gakovo, was by the Hungarian border. So you could cross the border in one night if you didn't get caught. So mother, my sister had s- shirts from my father that she wore. So she, had, she was clever. She put several shirts on top of each other so she would look very dowdy and and they wouldn't bother her, so she had some shirts to trade in with that guard who let us out that night. And uh, my, he, my mother was told, just follow the North Star, and they had spied out a, a, a way. However, it got cloudy, we got confused, and all of a sudden we heard do- dogs barking, and gunshots, and everybody panicked and ran. And um, uh, But... We were scattered and I got stuck in some mud somehow. I was just so skinny and weak. And then the the dogs came behind me and the guards went past me. And it's like I was invisible and nobody caught me. Mother found me again and uh, there were some corn stalks like teepees that the farmers had put up nearby. She stuck us in there, she had no clue where we were Were we in in, uh, Yugoslavia or were we in Hungary yet? So waiting for sunrise, sun comes up, and lo and behold, (laughs) the guardhouse was uh, no farther than the end of your parking lot here, but we were on the Hungarian side. Free, I thought, anyway, but no way. Hungary was occupied by the Russian soldiers, and if you were caught, we were shipped back yet we had to make our way in hiding, and we had about a two week walk across Hungary. Some kind farmers would sometimes give us food, and one farmer told us that you have to cross the Danube if you want to get to safety in Austria, yet every bridge is guarded by Russian soldiers. So he gave us a ride to a part of the Danube where there was a tiny ferry that didn't have any Russian guards. And as he led us off, see people are kind. People are kind in, in their heart. It just takes a handful of radicals that serve Satan to do so much wrong, okay? I don't blame the, the, the farmers around us, they were afraid. Because if, if they had tried to do something for us, had they come in front of my camp, had they locked arms, and resisted. Yes, they may have ended up with us in camp or be shot, but then as Christians, we're supposed to risk our life for those that are being killed, aren't we? I heard the church bells ring. Those communists let the church go on. People sang, they did their weddings and everything else. You were fine to do your religion inside the church. However, don't go out. And, and do anything contrary that your government told you. Well, I'm, I'm digressing. Anyway, we, we were now ready to cross the Danube to finally make it to freedom in Austria. We, we had that little barge ahead of us and as we got off the wagon, we started going toward the barge, all of a sudden a Russian soldier discovered us and he screamed, stoi, stoi, stop, stop. Everybody ran again, and little skinny me, with legs no, th- no th- bigger than my, my wrists. I couldn't catch up, and he caught me. And if you had seen me in those days, I wore my little dress for 18 months by then. No shoes left. Uh, who knows how I looked? He knew that I was an escapee. However, he didn't arrest me. He just sort of knelt in front of me and looked at me and handed me something and in his hand, he had the greatest treasure I had in camp. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I was taught to pray. I, I knew two songs. One was Fairest Lord Jesus in German, and oh great God, I praise your name. I knew the Our Father. I knew the Apostles' Creed, and I was taught to pray three times a day, so I would hide out in that camp in a corner because I didn't play. You had no strength for play. And I would just sing to the Lord and pray, and I think the Lord got tired by then of me saying the same old, same old prayer. And lo and behold, I was given a prayer book, which was illegal to have. I had only two years of reading, but I worked my way through that book. That was my greatest treasure, and I had tied it to my waist, and apparently when I got off the wagon, it fell on the ground, and the soldier saw it, and, and, but he didn't arrest me. He handed me the book and shooed me on. I think he probably had the believing little Russian grandma at home. Who knows? Anyway, that book, was my lifeline. I was so precious more than food to me. You know, uh, if you would have said, do you want to give up that piece of bread I have for you or that book, I think I would have chosen that book. And uh, there was one prayer in particular because it reminded me of my doll. Uh, uh, and the prayer, I learned it by heart in those days. It essentially said, Lord, break open my heart and see if it loves anybody more or anything more than you, then I give you permission to tear it out of me. Should I even cry and complain, Lord, and beg you to stop, don't listen to me. After you've cleansed my heart, and I was thinking of my idol, take all my idols out. After you've cleansed my heart, plant in my heart your, your cross and your crown and close it up again. After that, dear Lord, teach me to love you more and more each day, till I'm finally able to die out of love for you. I never prayed once in camp, get me out of this mess, didn't think about it. One thing I was afraid of is to die with sin on my heart when I saw the Lord. Seriously. I mean, I was just a child that did what children do, believe what they're taught. So anyway, um, we made it across the Danube on the barge, got, got to a place we had to cross the Austrian border now. Again, my, my dear little, she was only five feet tall, if she was that, she was just incredible. She, she clocked the guards and then at the right moment, we broke through and we finally made it into Austria. Freedom, poor Austrian people after World War II, that was now in 1946 in the fall. See, the war was over and we thought they would let us go again. No, they just had begun to exterminate us. Those camps had not been opened until 48 when everybody was dead. There were about 5,000 children left. There were some small ones left. They they distributed among the population and made good communists out of them. And about 5,000 that were left, they were gassed in a sugar refinery because they remembered who they were still. But anyway, uh, we got into Austria and those poor Austrian people didn't know what to do with us. It was occupied by the English soldiers, because after World War II, Austria was divided up between the French, the Russians, the the English, and the Americans. We ended up in the English zone. And so the English had old prisoner of war camps that they prepared for refugee camps. So they put us on the train and shipped us high up into the Austrian mountains into one of those refugee camps where we were given a sack and they uh, w- we were sent into the woods. We put leaves in, that was our mattress, and uh, we spent eight years in that refugee camp, my, my mother, sister, brother, and I before we came here as refugees in 1955. So um, this was the promised land here when I came here. I mean. I didn't know what ice cream was and all these wonderful things, Um, but America was so different then than it is now. You could leave your door open. We had a veneer of Christianity. I don't know how many real Christians were here, just like in my hometown. Everybody went to church. You know, it was just a a veneer. However, everybody, still you had to Christian ethics and, and ingrained in our people. And you know, in my camp, people would steal from you if you left some food, if, if you had a piece of bread, but they wouldn't kill you for it. Watch out, America, now. Uh, just, just a warning. Anyway, um, came here and soon I, I realized that this culture was changing. And I became concerned because I saw the, ha- the the precursor of what happened to us. Government deciding that they could be like God and decide who lives or who dies. And I started to speak out even before abortion was uh, legalized in 68. When I heard the first time the word, I didn't know what it was. And so, um, I started to speak out already, embarrassed my husband. I met him here and uh, embarrassed him all the time because it was on my heart. After all, I experienced what it is when a government decides it is God and it has the right to destroy human life, and so I tried to warn. And if I know a lot of church people go to the abortion clinics where I am, I've seen a whole youth group bus take with their church shirts on. Take a girl in. So, if there is somebody here that is post abortive or has helped somebody, please don't think I'm condemning anyone. I really don't. I, I, I'm sorry it happened because everybody I talk to, post abortive ladies that have found forgiveness, they still wonder what their child would have looked like. And so, I don't want anybody to be hurt. Please take me. Take my heart for what it is. I'm just talking about it. We, we have to spare future women from from going through what those are going through who have. Honestly, hired somebody to murder their own baby. That's the truth, and it breaks my heart. Yesterday, I stood in front of the abortion clinic, and my friend, we stood there. Um, he killed 40 little babies while we stood there. And like this prison commandant would have quartered my mother, well that's what this guy does. And it's just called, you know, a procedure. We can't let this go on, people. Uh, We have to do something. We love Jesus. You know, I, I can barely stand there because in past years, I've been at this now for 28 years, I I usually went with people that were willing to just place their body and interpose, placing their body in front of the doors, like my prison camp, and say, you'll have to go over our dead bodies before you can dismember those little ones in there. Been dragged away, I've been in jail 40 sometimes, and, These jails are a country club compared to what I already experienced, and people got saved every time I got in there. Anyway. (laughs) But seriously, I beg you, get involved. Uh, You you can just come and pray. I mean, you, you just come and observe at first what we do. There is only one left in Augusta anymore. I used to go to Planned Parenthood, they closed down, praise God. Now I'm going to the uh, preferred women's clinic in Augusta. But he's open five days a week. He kills babies five days a week. And out of sight, out of mind, it's so easy to forget and get busy with our lives. So I beg you, seniors, I would love I used to call my seniors when we would go in and lie in front of the clinic doors, I used to call call us the geriatric brigade, (laughs) but um, I'll call you uh, silver eagles. How about the silver eagles come to the clinic and we have a counselor there, you don't have to speak anything except to the Lord and just observe. It changes your life when you have to stand there helplessly knowing what's going in. I can barely hold back. I just wanna go and say, tear me apart. But just for myself to go there, it would just create a scene and nothing would be accomplished. Someday, again, there will be people. I have some friends that are willing. we will have to just block these doors, front doors and back doors. And, but the first time I went for a rescue was in Atlanta when I found out there were abortion clinics. And I said to my husband, honey, that's what people should have done for me. May I go? So I jumped on the bus and I was the first to arrest. But uh, there were 6,000 churches in Atlanta. And we called out and said, please come. If just one person comes from each church, you get a slap on your hand. Maybe pay 50 bucks fee and go home. The next person gets a slap. Can you imagine these clinics in Atlanta? They would have closed within two months. Churches wouldn't even, there were some churches with 6,000 members alone, you know. But nobody came, it's all right. but we have incurred so much guilt as a nation. There is such a thing as blood guilt. If if you list, uh, uh, read already in the book of Genesis, you know uh, uh, Cain's uh, killing Abel, innocent blood cries out to the Lord for justice. And uh, in, in Deuteronomy 21, even if innocent blood was shed and people didn't know about it. The the one that was closest, the community that was closest to the shed of innocent blood, they had to measure and go there and say, Lord, declare Lord. We didn't even know it happened. But they had to do a sacrifice of repentance before the Lord to cleanse the land of the guilt of the innocent blood. Our nation has shed, just through surgical abortions, 60 million babies' blood. And that blood guilt is on our land because it has been legalized. See before abortions happened throughout history but it was a personal sin, personal blood guilt. But now it is a national sin and it involves all of us. It will affect all of us. Uh, Scripture tells us it's in in Jeremiah. I, I don't want to spend time reading it because it takes too much time. Jeremiah 14 and 15. Uh, Jeremiah preached against uh, uh, killing of the innocent all the time because Manasseh was the one, the king that that nationalized the the killing of the, uh, the babies. He even sacrificed his own son. He made it a national sin. And God told Jeremiah in chapter 15, I think, or 14, um, "Don't even pray anymore. I don't want to hear you. Even if Moses and and." Uh, I, one of the others <laughs> would pray to me. I wouldn't even hear anymore. We are at that point, people. God has given us a little window right now. If we settle back in our churches and sing our songs, we are no different than ones in Yugoslavia who just sang their songs and went about their weddings and their stuff. I don't want to sound desperate, but I am. If if we do not take advantage now, you know what happened uh, in the Old Testament um, when when God already had removed some of the people in Israel and taken them to Babylon. There were some left behind, and god they they promised God that they would not have their, their citizens around them as their slaves anymore. Indentured slavery, that's different from what we had, just paying off their debt and they let their slaves go. Then they went against God again and made their slaves come back. And God said, that's enough. And then he brought Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed them all. And you may say, well, I haven't done any of this. I'm innocent, I'm free, nothing is gonna happen to me. No, there was Jeremiah who preached, the weeping prophet preached all these years and when everything went south for the nation, even the ones that hadn't done wrong suffered. Poor Jeremiah and his, his uh, servant Baruch, they, they went into exile with him and suffered. And Baruch complained. It's in chapter 45 of Jeremiah. Baruch complained. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And that's my Eva version, because if I read it, it takes too much time. He essentially said, so Baruch, when I'm judging this nation, what do you want? You want houses and fields? Be glad I'm giving you your life. And I wonder if I'm alive, if my mother was able to rescue her family because she tried to rescue others from the death camp. She rescued one old lady. I mean, when she had me in, in, the, in the work camp, hidden out, she left again to go to the death camp and and tried to get my aunt. My aunt was too afraid to come. But there was the the owner's wife uh, of the brick factory in that death camp and she begged my mother, would you take me to the work camp because my husband's there and I want to die in his arms. My dear mom carried that dear old lady on her back all the way to our camp. And that dear lady survived. She tried again. here I feel guilty because I didn't want to lose my mommy. And I begged her not to go. It was a Christmas. It was a big snowstorm. And she went again, trying to, to try again to save somebody. And she couldn't get through the huge snowdrifts and had to come back. But I believe God honored that. She was a rescuer. My father rescued a Serbian soldier when the, when the Germans came in. And, and so I believe my parents, laid the groundwork for us to be spared. Perhaps if you stand up for the unborn, God may spare your children or your grandchildren. We're on a uh, a, a slope already. We're on that slippery slope. Uh, We're killing the babies now, but secretly they're already killing the elderly. Remember Terry Schiavo in Florida? She, she, she could eat, but her husband had gained, gotten $2 million because uh, he blamed the hospital. And so he had a girlfriend, had a baby with her. So he decided his wife wouldn't want to live like she did. And, and they started starving her to death. I went down there, got arrested for that too. Uh, I tried to take at least a cup of water to her. I know what it's like but they just grabbed me and slept. But a lady got saved that night, and, and uh, so. Mission accomplished there, too. Anyway, the next thing is now, it will be the handicapped. Already there, the intellectuals talking about post-abortion, post-birth abortions, you know what that means? Yeah, at, at uh, killing them afterwards, if you don't like them, you give them They're talking about two years and a half you can take. Now they're talking about five years. If they're mentally not right or whatever, they're not persons. You see, they came up with a new criteria. They can't deny anymore it's a human life. Human life starts at conception. Read the Christmas story. Mary conceives, rushes straight to Elizabeth who is six months pregnant. Mary just has one little cell developing and it says all of God is contained bodily in Jesus how can all of God be in one cell it blows my mind but i believe it the bible says it is elizabeth 6 months old baby gets filled with the holy spirit like the scripture says and jumps and elizabeth by the holy spirit bows before mary the mother of my lord The mother of her Lord was only contained in one cell, all of God. How can we say it's not a human life? Well, biology tells us that, goodness. So we are playing these mental games and now they're saying uh, you have to be a person. They're talking about giving personhoods to, to, to robots because they can think, okay? They can, they're so smart. But if you are handicapped mentally, if you're physically handicapped, they call about pre-persons or post-persons. A pre-person is one that doesn't think clearly after they're born for, till a certain age. A post-person they're talking about is somebody like a, a senile person, a Alzheimer person. These are now post-persons. It's all been set up people. We, you know, I'm remi- reminded of my people. Just so busy with our lives. Oh, nothing can happen to us. And now I kind of see it. We were like little mice with just the grains in front of us. And then we were eating the grain. Didn't realize there was the snake with the mouth wide open and snapped shut at the proper time. This is where we are right now. So please, I stop now. Please, I want everybody here just take the time out one time to come to that clinic and stand for life and say, Lord, I'll do anything. I mean, there's so much we can do, but stand there first and make it real by knowing they're tearing little ones apart while we are standing there helplessly. We can offer help, we can adopt the babies. How many times I have even said, I'll go to the lawyer with you right now, I'll take your baby. We can do that. And things like that have happened. But we got before Lord, before the Lord, we have to finally say, Lord, here we are. Take my life, whatever it takes, whatever you want, I say yes. Just show me, and I'll do whatever you say. No holds barred. Jesus' name. Is there any questions? Little ones, do you have any questions? Yes, dear. What did you do when your mother and your sister were gone? Uh, I just talk to Jesus all the time. And I depended on him. He was, he was my mommy, he was my daddy, he was everything to me. And that's the wonderful thing, honey. When you truly belong to Jesus, he will take care of you. Yes, I got hurt, but he also healed my hurts, honey. I had some brutal things done to me as a little 10 year old. And I had nobody; didn't have a psychiatrist to talk to, but I had Jesus. And I think I'm fairly normal by now. Huh? <laughs> Anyone else?
0: <laughs> There's a question back here with. Uh, Navea, did you have a question? What's your question?
1: Yes, I do. And guess what? The wheel marks are on on the cover still (laughs) from the wagon. She still
0: has the book that she dropped when she was a kid, when
1: a child. Yeah. Well, I got a Bible when my brother came back from the Army in Korea and brought me a King James Gideon Bible. To me, it was Greek. My English wasn't that good. But, boy, that's (laughs) amazing. Uh, My mother died when she was 62. My brother died when he was 72. My sister is uh, uh, 88, 87, uh, and she's alive. Oh, yes. She started a ministry to the gypsies in in Romania with her husband. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my brother was kind of late in coming to the Lord because he was kind of bitter. He would tell me, so where was your God, Eva, when mm. all this happened? But I was able to lead him to the Lord just two weeks before he died.
0: Well, there's a question
1: here. Uh, two questions. Were you ever re- reunited with your uh, Yes. They let my grandmother go when my mother showed up because they had no qualm about her. You know, she was not German ancestry. So um, she went home, but all her stuff had been robbed and had to start from scratch. My grandfather even got away from the Russians, so the two of them were in Yugoslavia until, well, he died there, but my grandmother uh, was able to emigrate to Germany, and I was able to see her there in 78. My sister and I went there and uh, found a nice nursing home for her. I had her here, but we couldn't keep her. We had no insurance, so she, I wish I could. uh, Starting last October, I can't drive anymore myself, so I always have to have a driver. In fact, if there's somebody who'd like to take me on Friday,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you got a free place to stay overnight. I'm sure you're going to get arrested, but
1: no, no,
0: (laughs) we pay for that, right?
1: No, nothing will happen to you. I just need a driver. You can stay in the car all day long if you want to. So that would be from 10 to 12.
0: Eva's going to be down front after the service today. I want to close the service. All right, Kim? Um, when, like, when did you start that you were so, um, willing to get arrested and stuff like that? Your boldness. When did you get bold and know that you're willing to be arrested for the cause?
1: Always, it just didn't have the opportunity till 1988 at the clinic in, in uh. Well, I used to smuggle Bibles, I did all kinds of things because the Lord said, you do for, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for him. And my heart was always, even as a 12-year-old in Austria, I heard about the leper colony and my heart was, I was gonna be a missionary to lepers and live with them. Well, now I'm ministering to the other lepers Mm. That nobody wants.
0: She's got an extensive story of smuggling Bibles into Russia and different things. So she, God used her in a powerful way. Just in the unique time that I've met her, one thing that she does have that's unique. She didn't mention about the lady. Tell her really quick, briefly about the okay, woman. The quickly. woman's in your shop.
1: Okay. In 1968, I didn't know about abortion. I took an English course, and the lady said we should legalize abortion. I said, what's abortion? And she said, stopping a pregnancy. And my response was, I mean, instinctively, that's murder, you're killing a human being, okay? And it wouldn't leave me after that. So I would talk to everybody, embarrass my husband, like I said. Anyway, at that same time, I didn't know that the Lord will really speak to you like he does. But at that time, all of a sudden I had this vision in my my mind that I was supposed to create a sculpture uh, out of sheet metal in welding <laughs> um, of uh, the whole deception that Satan does. I call it uh, abortion deception. Like in the Garden of Eden, the serpent cl- coming around the tree, lying to, lying to Eve and have her do whatever he wanted her to do. And, and the sculpture ba- basically is um, the serpent around the tree, the woman standing there and and he's lying to her that you have the right to be God and decide what's right and wrong for you. Therefore, she's listening to him and he talks her into killing her own baby. And uh, and While her eyes are on him, just listening to the lie, his eyes are zeroed in on the blood sacrifice that he's getting. And she sort of just nonchalantly offers that baby to him. The baby's arms are out like that, because, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. You're crucifying him anew. And uh, all these years after 68, I, I tried to get started. Tried to get started. Never could. Now 48, 48 years later, I finally uh, created, well, with the Lord's help, that eight-foot-tall eight piece of sculpture. Uh, weighs about 500 pounds, and I'm going to be 82 soon so (laughs) that's a miracle (laughs) but uh, the lord the lord showed me twice i needed to do it and i was going to obey at any cost in fact there was one time i was in the hospital looked like i was paralyzed i said now how am i going to do it in the wheelchair (laughs) so so when god tells you to do something just do it my motto has always been like in in um, galatians 6 i think at the end of galatians 6 uh, Whatever opportunity, when you have opportunity to do good, do good. Mm. And uh, I didn't say, oh, Lord, you want me to do this? No, I always ask, is there any reason? The Bible says do it. Is there any reason you don't, don't want me to do it? So that's how I live.
0: How much welding experience did you have? None. <laughs> so I, th- I heard about her, her uh, the thing that she'd built, this, the sculpture, on the radio. Several weeks, uh, I don't know how, what Christian radio I was listening to. So I imagined the sculpture so and that's, said, that's interesting, heard her name, and then uh, we got connected just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, and they said, Pastor, you need to know about this lady that lives in Aiken, shared the story, I was able to go by the house, Eva's house, and the sculpture, it, it belongs in a museum somewhere, it's a very beautiful piece. I was thinking 10 men off the Wizard of Oz, kind of welded together, if she'd never had any experience. It's so much more than that, and it does speak volumes, and I don't know how God's going to use it, it's a... It, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a God-ordained piece, I believe. It, it speaks volumes when you see this thing, uh, I say this thing, the sculpture. It's amazing the, the, the volume of the witness that it has in and of itself. Well, today, listen, I want to pray for Eva and, and the work that she is to do. And God's called to so many of us, as we talked about our place in ministry, this finishes our series in place of where is your place in the church. It does begin in the local church, but also it goes outside the doors of the church. We cannot... And we cannot, must not keep ministry just within the church. And uh, let me read the scripture that's on the front of your bulletin. If you'll take your bulletin today. And uh, the scripture we put there, is Psalm 139. And if you'll stand with me as I, as I read this scripture, um, I want you to think about the words we've heard today. I know the children are here. And we say this is painful things for us to hear. These are real things that are happening in our neighborhood, in a neighborhood right near us. Let me read this. The Bible says this. How vast is the sum of them, we pray. Father God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for so many blessings that you have poured out on us. Lord, as we stand in your presence today, we stand as witnesses to what we've heard, and Father, what we've understood, and some things we didn't know, and some things we learned. Father, as we speak to different people who have histories of things we know nothing about on the other continents around the world, Father, that's a history lesson for us. Father, for here and now, the the ministry and the opportunities that you've given us right here, right now, Father, this is not a history lesson for us. This is actually a call to action for us, that we'd be more than just um, warriors in the word here at church, but Father, we would put that word in action. We would engage our lives. So Father, we can honor you with all of our lives, because we are going to see you one day face to face. We are going to give an account, Lord, for our community, for our culture. And really, Father, for us, is just showing up and And be in the body of Christ you've called us to be. Pray for Eva that you would continue to strengthen her and give her courage. And let her be that banner, that Deborah that was in the scriptures to lead out. To call us to arms. Lord, to honor you in all that we say and all that we do. I thank you for today. I thank you for what we've heard today. I don't like what we've heard today. It's very hard words. Father, we need to hear these words and be challenged to be the people of God you've called us to be. Father, would you give us wisdom for the day? Lord, would you anoint us, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit to be the people of God you want us to be? Lord, let us be obedient, standing at the gate. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.